0: Uh, after the service, Doug said, can you teach for me next week? And, uh, and I had something that had been on my heart a lot. But during the service, the Lord laid a little something on me that I told him. I said, you know, after the service, when he asked me, I said, you know, he just, get, he just put something on me just a few minutes ago. And so that's where we're going, not what I've been looking at for about two months. Uh, and I want you to open your Bibles to start with to Second Peter, the first chapter, and we're going to read a few scriptures there. And, uh, <coughs> and I'll get there eventually. 2 Peter 1, 1, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertaineth to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue whereby are given unto us exceedingly great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, and add to your faith virtue, virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity, For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. All those things that it said. Why is it sometimes we don't seem to to attain those things on a day-to-day basis? And I think it's because there's principalities and powers that are working against us and, and trying to bring us down every minute of every day. But more than that, I think that we're too in touch with the world. No doubt. You see? I think we attribute an awful lot of things to Satan that did it, that's, that's right here. <laughs> we, we, like to, we like to say, the devil made me do it. Well, no, the devil didn't necessarily make you do it. You did it on your own. Because you're too... You know, we used, to, we used to say something years ago that I, I disagreed with at the time, and I disagree with it more now. They used to say you can be too spiritually minded to be any earthly good. I, whole, I wholeheartedly disagree with that. You cannot be no earthly good if you're spiritually minded. You are earthly good. Your light is so shining amongst men to where it ought to be bleeding off of you, just falling off of you, okay? Be in tune with the Lord. So today we're going to talk about a few few things that's a little different. I don't know how long this is going to last, but how would you like to put your feet up on the necks of some of the kings? Let's go go to Joshua, the 10th chapter, okay? And while you're turning there, we'll do a little history on that. Uh, A guy named Moses, it's amazing. A guy named Moses. He brought the brought the brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. They had been slaves for over 400 years, and they were used to being slaves. They didn't really even mind being slaves anymore. In fact, every time that Pharaoh came against them, they'd look at him and say, "You know, why did you come bother us? You didn't have to come back and try to do this." Every time you looked up, they were they were kowtowing They were trying to get out of it, and. You know, it, it went through all of the, all of the plagues and all of the things that was brought upon Egypt. And then the next thing you know, finally Pharaoh, after losing the firstborn of all of Egypt, said go. And they gave them provisions and they left and they get, to the, they get to the Red Sea. And all of a sudden, here comes Pharaoh again. I'm not letting them go. You know, there was a reason that, that, that it was done that way. God wanted to show the children of Israel that I got your back. And also, God wanted to arm the children of Israel. How many of you realize that when the Red Sea came down on the army that most of the weapons and stuff floated up to shore, and, and, and and the children of Israel didn't have any weapons? So they armed them. They go and they make this journey, and they get right to the Jordan River, and he sends spies out. And out of the 12 spies, 10 of them came back and said, yeah, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's fabulous. You ought to see it. Man, grapes are as big as pomegranates. But there's giants in the land. And we're as grasshoppers in their sight. How many giants have we got in the land today? And most of them are between our ears. Most of them are right here. I've said for years, and I'll say it for the rest of my life, my biggest problem is between my two ears. If I could figure out a way to exercise my brain and still have the ability to do something, I would be all right. <laughs> but because it is always thinking and always working and always trying to figure out a way to worry about this or worry about that or, or get to, you know, in the multitude of business. We spend so much time trying to make a living. We spend so much time worrying about this customer and about that customer and what he does that we forget who we are. We forget that we're children of the Most High God, that we're children that have been redeemed. We've been bought with a price. Jesus gave His very best. You see, God, he's like it's like the it's like the guy that was that was looking for pearls, and he found that perfect pearl, and he went and sold everything that he had, everything that he had, so he could acquire the one pearl. God sold everything He had to redeem you and I. It really did. And all too often, we let that thing of this world get in our minds so much and trying to figure out how we're going to make it tomorrow that we forget that we're kings and priests unto God. And we just let it, and we kind of slip aside, don't we? We forget that we're supposed to witness. We forget that we're supposed to say something to this guy and say something to that guy. I had a unique experience this past week When you start going to the VA, sooner or later, they decide if they're going to find out whether war messed you up, and they send you to somebody to do a little bit of a psych evaluation. And when I'm in there, I'm sitting there thinking, this woman's asking me all these questions, and I'm thinking, how much do I tell her about my Christianity? Because she might think I'm a total goof. You know, she may put me on the ninth floor as soon as I tell her that I really believe that book. (laughs) And that's going through my head. And I finally said to myself, you know, I I said, I had a real rough time the first year I got back from Vietnam, but I said, I met a guy named Jesus in October 1973, and I'm not saying that it was easy after that, but he helped me through this, and he got me through that thing. I said, he got me through hatred of Orientals. He got me through things that that I never dreamed would, would ever go away. And he's still working on me today. And I thought, boy, you probably just blew it. And thank the Lord. She says, this, and I told her, I says, you know, I probably just said too much to a psychiatric person. And she said, not this one. This one believes that that Jesus you're talking about is real. And I said, thank you, Lord. Because I really didn't want to end up in the ninth floor. You know, I really had no desire to have a straitjacket put on me. But you never know. And today, they don't like us a whole lot. They really don't like us a whole lot. And they, they, they think we're bigots. They think we're closed-minded. They think we are. You know, I am closed-minded. I believe in Jesus and him crucified. But I, don't, but I don't hate the sinner. I hate sin. But I don't hate the sinner. And that's where Jesus was different from any other. Yes. Yes. Jesus loved the sinner when he sat down with publicans and he sat down to eat, and the Pharisees went to his disciples and they said, "Hey, do you know? Does he know who he's eating with?" And Jesus said, "A doctor's for the sick; it's not for the well. I came to seek and to save that that was lost." And there was a whole lot of people that thought they knew the way, and never recognized him. And I pray every day of my life, God, please don't let me fall into the sin of the Pharisee. If you show up, I want to recognize you. If you walk through the back door, I don't want to look at you and think, oh, he ain't what I thought he looked like. I want to be say, thank you, Jesus. Here he is. Here's the king. I want to fall on my face before him. But let's go on with this story about Joshua. Joshua and Caleb came back with a report that said, yeah, there's Johnson land. So what? We are well able." But because 10 out of 12 said something else, what did they end up doing? Forty years in the wilderness going around that mountain again and again and again and again until everybody over the age of 20 had died except Caleb and Joshua. And then they get to the Jordan River again, and it's at flood stage. And Joshua seeks the Lord, and the Lord tells him what to do. He says, "Have have the carriers of the ark step off into the water. They stepped off in the water. The Water stopped. They go across. They send spies out again, don't they? They send those spies out and they come back, and they said, uh, "Well, we're gonna. Do this. this is this is a good thing. We can do this." They're afraid of us. They're afraid of us in Jericho. You see, the heathen believe the report of the Lord more than the more than the than the Israeli did. <laughs> the heathen believed the report. They said, we know what happened with Pharaoh. We know what happened with all of the people that came against you. We know that we're in trouble when you get here. And so they do their thing. They march around the walls at one time a day for six days, and then on the seventh day, seven times, and then with a the shout, the walls come down. And they go in in great victory. They leave there, and they go to a place called Ai. And when they get to AI, wasn't AI, AI was in the plane of Ono, wasn't it, I think. And you know, when you go to Ono, you've got a problem. <laughs> but AI, AI, they, we just defeated Jericho, the biggest walled city in the area. First mistake, pride. They never even saw God about it. Said, what do we need to do? Oh, they're just a little town. We can send 3,000 men. We don't have to do nothing. It's done. What happened to them? They got kicked. They got kicked hard. They lost 36 men. 36 men lost their life that day. They got back and Joshua fell on his face before God and he lamented before God for a pretty long time and pretty soon God said, what are you doing? Get up. There's sin in the camp. Somebody's partaking of that which I said not to get And so God showed them who it was. And what happened to Achan and his family? They stoned them all. Men, women, children, dogs, cats, sheep, everything. Killed everything he had. Erased it from Israel. Then they went back and they defeated Ai. And then this group of people shows up, looking like they've been traveling a thousand miles, beat up clothes, Beat up wineskins, moldy bread, and starts and starts trying to make a deal. Said, "Look, we're from a far country, but we've heard about how powerful you guys are, and we want to treaty with y'all." And it's funny to me that Joshua said, "How do I know that you're from a far country?" And they said, "Look at the bread. Look at this." And he never once asked God. Now he's been through this a few times, hadn't he? But he never once asked God. And then this thing starts. Then they make this treaty. And then he finds out. And he goes to him and he says, you told me you from, were from a long way off. He said, yeah, but you've already made a treaty. We saw what you did in, to, to Jericho. We saw what you did to Ai. We didn't want to die too. And he says, well, you'll be our servants from now. On. And then the next thing you know, these five kings. And that's where we, that's where we get to in the 10th chapter of Joshua. And it says, now it came to pass when a." Adonai Zedic, king of Jerusalem had heard how Joshua had taken Ai and had utterly destroyed it and had done as he had done in Jericho and her king and he had done in Ai and her king and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made a peace with Israel and were among them that they feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city here it is again what's the report the bad guy Believes the report more than the righteous man. He's scared to death. So they make a pact with. Him. He says, uh, Wherefore Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Horham, king of Hebron, and to Piram, king of Jarmuth, and unto and, uh, Jairus, king of Lachis, and Debir, king of Eglon, saying, Come unto me. Help me, and we may smite Gibeon, for it hath made a peace with Joshua and the children of Israel. Therefore the five kings of the Amorites, the kings of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon gathered together and went up, and they all encamped and went to war against this town. And so they sent to Joshua and said, Hey, don't leave your servants. We're your servants. Help us out here. And Joshua went before the Lord and asked the Lord what to do. And the Lord said, go up against them for they are yours. I'm going to fight for you and they're yours. And so they went. And we're going to skip across that part. They won the battle. But in the midst of the battle, the five kings went to a cave and they hid. And some of the guys found them. And Joshua said, put rocks in front of the caves, leave a couple of guards so that they don't get out, and then continue the battle until we finish it. And they finish the battle, and they come back. And when they come back, Joshua says, get the rocks out of thing, uh, off the cave and bring them to me. And we get to this little spot. Let me find exactly where we're at. Then spoke Joshua the Lord in that day when the Lord delivered the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Son, stand still upon giving. Now that was a a great thing that happened. The son stood still for about a day so that they could finish the fight. And uh, the 21st verse. It says, And all the people returned to the camp of Joshua at Machedon in peace. None moved his tongue against any of the children. Then Joshua opened the mouth of the cave and brought out the kings unto me and they did so and brought forth those kings those five kings unto him in the cave and the king of Jerusalem the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lechis, and the king of Eglon and it came to pass when they had brought out those kings unto Joshua Joshua called for all the men of Israel and said unto the captains of the men of war which went with him come near put your feet upon the necks of, of these kings and they came near and they put their feet upon the necks and Joshua said unto them fear not Nor be dismayed, be strong and be of good courage. Thus shall the Lord do to all your enemies against whom you fight. Thus shall the Lord do to all your enemies. Now, boy, wouldn't it have been a fearful thing to be one of those five kings? Man, bring you out of that cave, and the next thing you know, every time you look up, there's another captain of the guard putting his foot on your neck. Now, why do you think God did that? Did you think he did it to embarrass the kings? They still had that grasshopper mentality. They still had that mentality that says, I'm not able. Even though their enemies knew that they were able, they still had this mentality that they were scared all the time. And God was trying to say to them, you have no reason to fear. I am the Lord your God. I will fight for you. And you will be victorious. How did did half the, how did more people die because of a hailstorm in this battle? than died by the sword. God fought for them. And he was trying to convince them, you're no longer slaves. You're no longer in bondage. You no longer have a chain around your neck. You are the the children of God. And being the children of God, you have access to my throne room. And by having access to my throne room, whenever you're in trouble, you can call upon me and be assured that I will show up. And I will take care of it. And so we go through this story. And, of course, they killed the kings then and hung them for a day and then took them down that night and threw them in a cave and covered it up. He'll do that to all of your enemies, too. If there's not a cave there, he'll produce one. He'll do that to our enemies, too. You know, you can't, you can't really... Preach anything unless you point fingers at yourself. When you point that finger, they're pointing back at you. I preach this to me more than anybody here. It's time that I decided that I will follow Jesus regardless of what. That why did I even fear saying anything to a to a psychiatric worker? But my mind kept saying, you know, they don't like us much anymore. This is, I, If I say too much, I, I could get in trouble here. As it was, God had me protected before I even went. And so he, he started working a thing in me. And I'm praying that he continues to work it until it is totally, 100% complete. That no matter where I am and what I'm doing, if the Lord speaks to me to say something to somebody, then I say, yes, Lord, and do it. Because he's got a cave for all those kings that would try to stop me. And so I want to look now and let's identify a few, few of these kings. Let's go to John 15, or John 2, I'm sorry. First John 2, not John first John 2. First John 2. 1 uh, John 2, and let's go to the uh, 15th verse. It says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not any. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So, John here has identified three of those kings that I want to talk about that we want to get rid of today. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. Now, I'm going to add a couple to it because all too often they're they're a big part of it. I I added a couple of kings to this deal to get us to five. And one of those was... uh, insecurity, and low Uh self-esteem, and doubt, and unbelief. You know, the Bible says that if you say you have no sin, you you deceive yourself. How many times have you been in a situation when your faith wasn't big enough for? The Bible also says that that to not believe is a sin. You see? So... I don't care how righteous you are or how good you are, there's been times in your life when you looked at a mountain and it was too big to get over. And you wondered, when you got to the other side, how many of you realized, how many times have you been in one of those places where you wondered how you was going to pay a bill, how you was going to do this and how you was going to do that, and then six months later, it somehow had disappeared and you don't even remember that that was such a big deal. Isn't that right? Yes. Have, how many times have you done I've done it over and over and over again in my life. God, what am I going to do about this? I mean, what are we gonna, And the next thing you know it's done, it's taken care of, and I think, why was that so big to me? And that's because this gray matter between these two ears is like, a, is, is like an amplifier. Something goes wrong and it starts screaming at the top of its lungs into an amplifier. Woe is you, woe is you, woe is you. You're going to fall on your face. And he said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. You really think he'd let, him, let you fall on your face? If you fall on your face, it's going to be bound before him. It's not going to be because your enemies have attacked you. It'll be bound before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Praise the Lord. So let's look at a few scriptures about these different things. Uh, let's go to Romans. Romans, the first chapter. Verse 24 and verse 25. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through their lust of their own hearts to dishonor their bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served a creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Let's go to Romans 6. And Let's look at the 10th through the 13th verse. And it says, For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those who are alive from the dead And your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. And then let's look at uh, Romans the 13th chapter. Look, if you want to find out how to live, (coughs) Romans is a good book to start in. Because he starts attacking these things. You know, he was, Paul was the apostle to you and I. We weren't Jews by birth. Paul was our apostle, and Paul wrote specifically to us and the things that come against us. And uh, the 11th through the 14th verse in in Romans 13, it says, And that knowing the time that now is is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let, let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk in honesty as in the day, honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, nor in strife or or envying, but put on Lord Jesus Christ and make, make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. He's been talking to us in every one of these scriptures about the lust of the flesh, getting away with it, getting away from it. Putting it behind you. We're going to step on that king today. We're going to step on his neck. Okay? Let's go to the lust of the eye. Uh, James. Go Go to James. Good old James. What is it Doug says about him? That he wrote a right straw epistle. James was tough. I'll get there eventually. James the Let's go to the third chapter of James. Uh, James 3, 13 through 17. For he shall have judgment without mercy, and has showed no mercy, and mercy rejoices against judgment. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? And can faith save him? If a brother and a sister be naked and destitute of daily bread, and one of you say unto him, Depart in peace and be warmed and filled, notwithstanding, you give, them, you, you give them not those things which they are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. How many times do we not do something because we're afraid of what we'll look like? To me, that's the lust of the eye. I want to look good, I I want want to make sure that people think I'm somebody. Jesus didn't care whether he thought he was somebody. Jesus came off of a throne in glory, and he took on the body of a man. And he didn't come here and ride a a stallion into, into battle and conquer the Romans and throw them out like the Pharisee wanted him to. That's who they were looking for. He said, by one man's sin came into the world. I've come to eradicate the sin. I don't care about politics. I care about the sin. I care about bringing you back into access with me, having, having access to the throne room. I care about being able to, you to bring your petitions before me and lay them down before the throne so that you can expect God to do something about it. Came to seek and to save that that was lost. You see, he didn't care what he looked like. And all too often, I think, too often, we look, at, we look and we wonder if we're going to look very good when we do this. Who cares? Who cares? Me and Terry went to a movie last night, and it was tough to watch. Called Do You Believe? But it brought some of these things home to me, too. That... If I'm not willing to share the the love of Jesus with others, I'm less than an infidel. I'm not much of a human being. I've been given the keys to life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. I've been given the keys to, to the very throne room of heaven. Partake of it. Reach out and touch God because he's trying his best to touch you. You see that old picture of that doorway to your heart being closed and there's no knob on the outside. You have to open it for him. You have to allow him free reign in your life. Don't expect to stay the same. You see, when I received Jesus 40 years ago, it was hard. Because I spent a year under Rose Gillespie that literally I felt like I was being attacked every time that the ministry went forth. I thought she was suffocating me, and I didn't want to come back very often. If, it, In fact, if it hadn't been for this pretty little old girl named Terry there, I, probably, I might not have come back. <laughs> <laughs> but... I just couldn't get her a beauty of terry out of my mind so i'd end up back here again i'd be miserable for three or four days after rose got through because it just seemed like lord am i the only sinner on earth i got to be the only bad guy here because all of these sermons have been orchestrated for me little did i know it was happening to everybody else in that room at the same time to me it was all my mother's been talking to rose she knows every bad thing about me and rose is hammering on Ladies, if you, have an, if, if, you, if you think you can teach, pick it up and do it. I'm not a guy that thinks that, that there's no good women teachers in the world. I know there's one that actually is the reason that I'm standing before you today. And so if you feel an apt to teach, if you feel an option to teach, pick that book up and start studying and start, re- start giving the word out. Rose told us. She said, I wasn't God's first choice to do this job. There were two men turned it down before he gave it to me. She said, I wasn't going to turn it down. And we were a bunch of ex-hippies, druggies. Everything you can think of was in that room. And she turned the lives around of an awful lot of people through the Holy Spirit. Because she said yes to the Lord. And did it. So ladies, if any of you think you want to teach, open up the book and go to work. God will have a place for you. Praise the Lord. He'll put you in a ministry. I owe my life to Rose Gillespie. And let's look at a couple more. Uh, Let's look at Proverbs 27.4. I'm walking you back and forth through the book a little bit. fashioned sword drill. What? Sword drill. Proverbs 27 4. 27. <laughs> Wrath is cruel and anger is outrageous, but who is able to stand before envy? Envy. You see, envy is part of that lusty eye. Envy one of those things that God said, "Watch out for in it. He wants to do that today. So before we leave here today we 're going to put our feet up on the neck of the king of, of the lust of the eye let 's look then at the pride of life. Uh, You know, I, I really don't have to have to go to another scripture for the pride of life. We all know what that is. It's pretty easy, and that's that. I, I all too often, when I make a big sale, I don't acknowledge that God's one that did it. Well, I'm pretty good at this. I'm a pretty good salesman, man. I just made a I just sold a a thirty-four thousand dollar power unit, and I made thirty percent on it. I'm pretty happy. Boy, look at me. Couldn't do anything without him. Amen. And I need, to, I need to remember to thank him every time one of those deals comes through. Because usually those deals come through not because of something that you're doing right now. Probably because of something that you did before. And that he's probably the one that orchestrated the way you thought about what you was doing before to start with. So we need to kind of let him know, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry that I don't praise you when things go right in the world of business. I'm sorry that I don't praise you, even when I don't make the sale. Why do I sometimes say, say, you know, it's my it's my doing when it's right, and it's your doing when it's wrong? <laughs> no, Lord, you kind of left me out hanging out to dry there. No, He didn't. He's trying to teach you something. You so you see, our president always talks about teachable moments. The Lord's best at that. There is. Let us get a little bit too big for our britches, and the next thing you know, God's going to bring you down a notch. He's going to let you know that, you, that you're not exactly where you need to be all the time, and that's literally what he's done to me over the past few years because, I, like, I, like I told you before, I got into this thing where reading this Word of God has become, you know, I used to read an awful lot of other things, and it seems like now all I read is the Word of God, and you know, it's, I don't know how many times I've read it in the last three years. I've read it a whole bunch of times, the whole thing, and, and it's just a, just a deal that says I got to do this. If I get too busy in a day and I don't and I don't seem to have time, the next day I read twice as much because I think I got to catch up. I got to I'm getting behind. I got to get up and catch up here, Lord. And it's funny. You say you want to hear from God, but then a lot of times you don't get in the Word of God and you don't spend enough time in prayer. And a lot of that has to do with that, with that, with that pride of life that, that we've just got too many things going on. There are many voices in the land, but only one can save a soul from sin. And we don't want to turn the TV off, and we don't want to turn the radio off, and we don't want to do this and we don't want to do that to get quiet before God so he can speak to us. You know, in and, and Hosea, it talks about that time, there was the, that there'll be a time in the land when, the, when there's a famine in the land. Not a famine of milk and bread, but a famine of hearing the word of the Lord. He's never quit talking. Not once. But we got so many voices bombarding us every day, all day long. You know, I can spend the whole day in my truck and never think about anything but whatever they're saying on sports talk radio or whatever they're singing on some, some channel instead of, instead of praying and asking God to redeem some of this time. But he is able to write his laws on the fleshly tables of your heart. And I'm going to say this. I'm going to put a big if there. You know, that's one of the biggest words in the world. If. 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 It's just two letters. But it stops so much flow of the Holy Spirit because we didn't do certain things. If we had just done this. If we had just done that. If. Get in the book. Read it every day. Keep his inkwell full so that he can take that quill and write that word on your heart. It's amazing how much you hear from God when you're in the word and how little you hear from him when you're not in it. You want to hear from God? Read his book. Don't just read it two or three minutes a day. Read a few chapters every day. I'm not saying to read it over an hour a day, uh, you know, I think you'll find that it won't be long if you start doing that as a habit of reading 10 minutes a day. The next thing you know, you're reading 20 minutes. And the next thing you know, you're reading 40 minutes. And the next day, you know, you're reading about an hour's worth a day. You're keeping that inkwell full. You're giving the Holy Spirit something to do the writing with. And you're keeping that line open to where he can speak to you and say, you're getting in trouble here. Or, hey, you don't I'll help you. Because how many times do you stumble? Man, I stumble five times a day, at least. If I didn't stumble five times, I didn't wake up this morning. I live in the world. And this world is, a, is an awful place. But I know the God that overcame it. You see, he said, they'll hate you because of me. And they're starting to do that, aren't they? Yeah. They'll hate you because you love me. But he said, don't fear I've overcome the world, and since I've overcome it, you can ride my coattails. Praise the Lord, Amen. the pride of life. Uh, then let's look at. Let's look at Matthew 13. Verse 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto uh, a treasure in a field, which when a man hath found he hideth, for the joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath and buyeth that field. Same token is, same thing as with the with the uh, with that pearl of great price in it. Are you insecure and not willing to sell everything you got before God? You see, when the rich man came to Jesus and he said, what must I do to be saved? Jesus told him, and he said, I've done all of these my whole life. And he says, one thing you lack, go sell all you have, give it to the poor, take up your cross and follow me. And I'm not saying that you need to go sell your houses and and everything that you've got. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. What I am saying is that if those things are standing between you and God, sell them. If those things are causing you to to stop, get rid of them. You know, he said he said that if your eye offends you, pluck it out. You'd rather enter into heaven with just one eye than than, than go to hell because of it. He says if your arm offend you, cut it off. You'd rather go into heaven with one arm than not get there at all. You see. Most of us, most of the time, stop before we before we finish what God's got us going, got us doing. Because we're insecure about it. We don't know whether we really heard the voice of the Lord or not. We don't really you think, set you, Lord? Where would the children of, of Israel be? if those guys carrying the ark when they got to the Jordan River said, I'm not stepping in that water. That's flood stage. I could drown here. Where would they be? They'd still be on the other side of the desert. But when Joshua said, look, the Lord will take care of it. Step off in the water. They stepped off in the water, and what happened? Same thing happened to the Red Sea. And not only did it just, did it just stop it. They didn't get any mud on their feet. The wind blew and it dried it up. They went across on dry ground. Praise the Lord. We want to put our feet upon the neck of insecurity and low self-esteem. Why would we have low self-esteem? John 3.16 tells us everything we need to know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. He won the fight. He won the battle. We just get to ride his coattails. The blood of Jesus is very real. Rose used to say that he's on the right hand of the Father and his blood is flowing across the mercy seat crying mercy, 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 mercy for all of us 24-7. It never stops. And I've told you the, the, the testimony about, about uh, God speaking to me that time and letting me know that I was worthy. But he really did. He said, you know, he said, I'm willing to go because on November 11th, 1948, there's a guy going to be born. Shreveport, Louisiana, his name's Mark, and he's worth it. So let me go get that. Let's, let's go to the cross. When he was in the garden of Gethsemane, he sweat as it were great drops of blood. And he didn't want to go. He said, Father, if there's any other way, is literally what he said. If there's any other way, but not my will, but thy will be done. And then the Bible tells us that Jesus endured the cross for the glory that was set before him. And I'm looking at the glory that was set before him right now. He endured the cross because you're the glory. The glory that has accepted his blood atonement. The glory that we've entered into because of what he's done for us. So we want to put our feet up on the neck of, Of insecurity and self-doubt. Then the fifth Kings is is doubt and unbelief. Hebrews 11.1. Everybody knows that everybody's, everybody's looked at it a million times. Now faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. He's done the work and all we have to do is believe. Every other religion in the world wants to make you do an awful lot to attain anything. We had a guy at, the, at Agape Love Fellowship come in one time na- named Satish Rabodi from India. He had gotten so thin and so, so sickly that he laid up on railroad tracks, and Indians wa- was waiting for a train to come over. And Satish, Satish said, a, a voice came in. I said, you remember those missionaries that told you about Jesus? They're not hungry. They're eating. And Satish was on the 700 Club years ago. And when Satish was on the 700 Club, there was a, a church in, in uh, I think, Charlotte, an Assembly of God church in Charlotte that called him afterwards and wanted him to come down. And he came down and he thought he was going to preach. And they said, we want you to teach our, our, our adult class down in the basement yoga. And Satish, Satish said, okay, I'll do that. And little did they know they wasn't going to get a yoga list, okay? Because he told them, he said, he said so you want to do Hindu things. He said, if you decide you really want to get after Hindu, he said, you get into yoga, and he said, you study seven years, seven days a week to, to accomplish everything that you have to accomplish in yoga. And he said, then you get into Transcendental Meditation, and it's another seven years. That you're studying seven days a week to accomplish everything in that. And he, and he went through all this stuff, and he said, you don't know what you're doing. He said, you know, if you accomplish all of this, and you, and you get all of this stuff done, you get to come back as a cow. <laughs> he said, you know, that's pretty good if you come back as a cow in Bangladesh or India. But you come back in Texas, you're McDonald's. (laughs) He said, shame on you. You know the living God. You know the true way. And you're trying to follow something else. Shame on you. There was a revival in the church. But we get it into our heads that a lot of these things are not bad for us. And we get fear. So we think, well, you know, I need to be in better shape. So I think I better do yoga to get in better shape. So my body, you know, it was appointed in a man wants to be born and wants to die. You're not going to die one minute before God's ready for you to get there. Not one minute. Not one second. Fear not. I have overcome the world, he said. Glory to God. So we're going to put our, foot, our feet upon the necks of these kings. So everybody stand up. Let's do an exercise. Let's do an exercise. And it's, an, it's a pretty simple exercise. All you've got to do is pick up one foot and put it back down. And just pick up the foot and put it down on the lust of the flesh. We're going to conquer you. We are not going to stay under you. We are not going to allow you to continue to rule our lives. Let's put our foot down on the lust of the eye. Put it down. Standing on the neck of the enemy. These are kings. These are principalities. These are powers that are trying to rip you apart. Get rid of them. Then we can put, it, put our foot down. What's the next one? Uh, the pride of life. Let's pick our foot up. Let's put our foot down on the neck of the king of the pride of life. We don't need to be prideful in who we are. Make our boast in the Lord. That's what Paul said. Paul said, Paul said, I don't come to you with enticing words of men's wisdom. I come with to you in the demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And if you get if you if you get rid of that pride of life, it's amazing probably how much that pride. Of, you know, we've had a lot of things spoken over us. They come to pass with us. They don't come to pass with, with Doug. They don't come to pass with just Kathy. You and I have to take up that cross, and you and I have to decide that we're gonna we're going to conquer these kings and we're going to reach out to the lost and see them saved. Glory to God. Let's put our, let's put our foot down on, the, down on the throat of the king of insecurity and low self-esteem. Let's pick our foot up one more time and put it down on the king of doubt and unbelief. I am more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. You overcame the world and I'm riding your coattails with it, Lord. I got a hold of the coattails and let's go. You are able. God has invested in you a great amount. I always have said that Jesus is a bit of a bloodhound because no matter how hard I run, no matter how hard I try to hide, he finds me. And he yanks a knot in my tail and he gets me back on the See, it's not that he just saved us. It's that he has put our feet upon the pathways of righteousness and he's got blockers on each side knocking you back into it when you try to get off. They're hard blocks. But he is able to make all grace abound towards you that in every situation having all sufficiency that everything that you do should prosper that every seed that you show you should harvest and reap a big harvest. God is able to bring this about. Because he delivered the kings to you and me. And we can, we can firmly say we've put our feet on these kings. Lord, I ask you right now in Jesus' name that you work to willing to do of your good pleasure in everyone's life in this room. Lord, that you do it, that you do it. I'm the, I'm the worst of the bunch, Lord. Put it on me. Help me get through this. Help me be victorious over all of these kings. Help me become the man of God that you've always desired that I be. Lord, help everybody in this room get past whatever obstacles in their way. Lord, that we'll lift up our faces to you, that we'll look unto you, the author and finisher of our faith, and move us in the direction that we need to go that we can see your spirit fall. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Bob, come up here. We want to pray for Bob.